Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us here on Off the Couch on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Matt Mitchell, the running editor at Blister, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. Okay. On today's pod, we are covering a grab bag of topics with Adidas Terex athlete and free trail editor-in-chief Corinne Malcolm. We talk about our respective relationships with writing and editing and which one we find more challenging, give a little peek behind the curtain for how we prep for these interviews, and kick around a few predictions about what the future of trail running could look like 10 to 15 years down the line. We also cover the Barkley Marathons, which just took place, and whether or not the mainstream media attention that race gets is good or bad for our sport. But before I bring Corinne on, I want to take a minute to tell you guys about Blister's partnership with Spot Insurance. Injuries are definitely not the first thing that comes to mind when we think about our favorite outdoor sports, but as many of you know, perhaps all too well in some cases, they happen from time to time. And even if you have standard insurance, the cost of your deductible and often a number of hidden fees means you're likely to get stuck with quite a hefty bill for any trip to the ER or hospital visit. That's where Spot comes in. With a Blister Plus Spot membership, you get injury insurance that covers everything from trail running to backcountry skiing to mountain biking and more, all in addition to the benefits of being a Blister member. For more info, make sure to click on the link in our show notes. All right. And finally, I also want to take a sec to remind you guys to leave us a rating or review after this conversation wraps up. Okay, let's get right into my chat with Corinne. Corinne, welcome back to the show. Hey, hi, hello. This isn't my podcast, but I'm happy to be here. We had you on in May of last year, where we knocked off uh, a good portion of your bio. And I think you had just run Madeira at that point. And ironically, you're signed up for that same race this year, I think. Last time we talked, you are. Yeah, people are panicking because I'm also signed up for like Sonoma 50 Mile. Um, and they're texting me saying that you're not actually doing the Lake Sonoma Madeira double, right? And I'm like, no, no, no. That was like a an error because I was planning to do this race in Wales in May. And now I'm not. I'm doing Madeira instead, which is like a, a fine secondary choice. Yeah, totally. Um, so I thought we could kind of use that window as a good like framing device to start off our conversation, though. Um, what has been kind of si- the significant life changes you've you've undergone uh, since the last time we spoke, because I know there's a handful of them that affected me personally. What affected you personally? I re-injured myself and then I unreinjured myself. Oh, I moved. Oh, my yeah, God. You're you, recording from you my were, old studio. <laughs> you were my neighbor. <laughs> I abandoned you in San Francisco and I moved to Seattle literally May of last year. Yeah. And now I'm recording this podcast from where you used to record your podcast from what a bunch of weirdos yeah so, uh, what has transpired you injured um, yourself i again. and well yeah i guess so we moved and then life was like chaos per usual because i have too many jobs as you're well aware um i continually have too many jobs so we moved to seattle my husband is starting residency here at uw he's gonna meet, be an emergency medicine resident so when you cut your knee open crashing your gravel bike he'll be there to suture you up is the goal he actually sutured his dad's ear up the other day because he ran into a tree skiing classic classic dr edinger's happening over here but yeah we moved um we did comment i did commentary i don't know i'm saying we i'm talking about myself in the third person did commentary at western states and broken arrow in june i crewed badwater while having COVID, which is a terrible idea, do not recommend. Um, and then tried to go race like 90 miles through Switzerland and France and Italy at TDS, which is part of UTMB. And um, instead, uh, like re-injured my old pelvis. The old pelvis uh, had a freak out and I've been on the mend ever since. Yeah. What about professionally? I know that you uh, you took on a new role. Matt Mitchell with the leading questions. Look at him go. Um, I did. I am. I'm your. You're my competitor, in so many ways, podcasting and otherwise. But I'm. Yeah. I'm the editor in chief over at freetrail.com, 
which is uh, the online platform which stemmed from the podcast and the kind of free trail membership community. So we're, we're taking over the, the running media world. What kind of led you to want to kind of secure a job over there? I don't know that I secured a job. I more bullied my way into a job by telling Dylan Bowman that I would take work off his hands if he would just let me do it. Um, but I've I've really enjoyed writing and editing over the years, mostly my own work, but working closely with people like Megan Hicks and Brian Powell over at I Run Far doing their science column, which I wrote for almost six years, I want to say, a monthly column for them. So really, it was kind of broadening my horizons and taking on a new role in the trail running community. Um, I definitely have to Google things all the time, like, where does the comma go? Is everything in this title supposed to be capitalized? Because I'm not an English major. I'm an exercise science major. Um, but I'm learning on the job in real time. Well, pausing on your column for I run far for a sec. Are you still doing any science writing? Because I, I, I sometimes go oh, back and, and visit those columns when <laughs> I'm like, what's wrong with me? <laughs> I wonder if Corinne has any insight. Did Corinne write an article about foot replacements? Um, no, I um, I've done some science writing, but it's all been about um, it's all been for QBI, which is the Quantitative Biosciences Institute at UCSF. Um, so it's more writing press releases for papers that are being published in Nature and that kind of thing. So like, so far removed from the running world, it's like. I have to then Google really complex scientific topics that I don't understand about like translational principles inside tiny organisms. Um, so I haven't written anything recently, even for free trail, which I think will change as far as like a science column goes. I think I'll start writing uh, maybe a monthly science column over there at that at this point now that I've like kind of organized the schedule a little bit. But yeah, I haven't. I've uh, I've been behind the scenes more than ever, which is both good and also bad because I thrive on external validation. Yeah, you say you're behind the scenes, but you also just recently published a, a piece of your own, Tough Enough, which is definitely not science writing. No, um, opinion yeah. writing is really fun because you no one can tell you you're wrong. Right. Well, so talk more about that piece. Where did it come from? Okay, so I wrote this piece called Tough Enough, and it's like this tiny little essay I feel like I've written a couple tiny little essays for the website here and there. And part of it's to like tie back into other things that we're doing to tie back into the free trail podcast or the sub the sub hub podcast now run by Danny Moreno and MK Sullivan or trail society, which I host with Keely Henninger and Hillary Allen. And so we had recorded a piece for trail society about mental toughness. And it stemmed from one place of like definitionally, what even is this thing? Um, to like psychological flexibility and being stubborn and all the other pieces that kind of play into what is this, this thing that we call toughness. And then that just made me ruminate on like my childhood and skiing and like these, this formative experience I had in my, uh, my friend's like family car driving to a ski race that like stuck with me for forever and ever. And so it was, a. I don't know, that kind of writing becomes, I realized that kind of writing is really, really therapeutic and so different than how I've used my brain for many, many years at this point. Is that something you kind of look for when people pitch you? Like, how do you go about deciding whether or not a piece makes sense for free trail? Totally. I, I look for kind of like, who is writing it? And why are they writing it a little bit? Like, why them? Why this story? Why now? Um, and then it's kind of like, you know, I, I really enjoy that narrative aspect of it, right? It's not this like, oh, here's the how-to of, you know, hydration, et cetera. And, and while we do put out, you know, some like Trail 101 style pieces, I've really, really, really enjoyed essays, like an essays from both front of the pack and back of the pack individuals that's about their their lived experience, their trail experience, this musing that they had about their relationship with running. And honestly, like half the time, it's like someone puts up an Instagram post and I like text them and I'm like, yes, can I have a thousand words on that feeling? I feel like that's such a good way to go about it, you know, just like in because normally it's like, oh, I get a bunch of pitches, but actually like identifying pieces, identifying the like kernels of a piece and like pushing the writer to like de develop more on that thought uh, is kind of an interesting approach that seems like it's working. 
Yeah. And I think that we are fortunate in the sense that we are, we've got no one to like to hold us accountable, I guess is how I'd put it. We like, we don't have like a VC, you know, putting money into us that we like, they need to meet X, Y, or Z, you know, returns on said product. Like none of that, none of that, nothing that we put on the website right now for the most part is like sponsored content. Um, it's really just like us scooping the bottoms of our pockets to try to pay writers here and there where we can um, and cultivate some new voices in the space. But we don't owe anyone anything, which means we can experiment a lot and we're totally going to get it wrong, right? Like I let some writers go super, super long because of their name, right? Because you you will read 3,000 words by Dakota Jones because it's Dakota Jones or Zoe Rome, et cetera. Um, it's a little bit harder, I think, particularly with newer writers trying to steer pieces to to be a certain length. And so I've let some kind of run run wild and that's okay. Um, but it is, it's like we're learning very actively through this process. And as like a first-time editor-in-chief, um, I would not I would not get this experience like in any other online publication, right? Like I feel very fortunate, but also realize that like I'm playing with my own special kind of fire. Totally. Are you worried that um, that kind of flexibility could be lost as free trail grows? Like, how are you going about like preserving that? Because I do think that's integral to what you guys are putting out. I think you will see us try to figure out like how do we utilize affiliates and advertisement dollars and and it. I don't think you're going to see that come through necessarily on the website. I.e., it's not like Nike's not you know funding every single written piece that comes out this month, et cetera. But I think you'll see more of that like in a, in our newsletter, which we are going to like put out in a more meaningful manner. Dylan, I think, is three for three right now. Like he's done it three weeks in a row and we're really proud of him. Um, but that's kind of I think you'll see us utilize those pieces a little bit more. And then an interesting avenue that we have, which actually isn't it's it's different than the blister model, but it's like kind of similar in the sense that like we have membership, like people subscribe to be part of like the free trail pro community, which gives them access to the Slack channel, et cetera. And then additionally to that, like we have private functions of that, i.e. like a private uh, podcast feed. You know, there's a rest day podcast that comes out every Monday with Ellie Pell and Katie Asmith and oftentimes Corinne Shalvoy, um, sometimes Ryan Thrower, like that, that comes out privately to the group. We have office hours every Wednesday, et cetera. So th- there are these things that are private and in that, actually, like, we are going to start dropping some gear reviews in April. Um, but a large piece of that puzzle is going to be private. And so some of it's going to be public facing um, on the website. But a lot of it is going to be like one-on-one interviews with pros, etc., which will kind of be behind the paywall um, to our members because we're trying to figure out that balance of like, what is what do you get with your free trial membership versus... Um, you know, what you get as a public who can just go to the free trial website and get whatever they need. Getting back to more of the content side, what do you think is more challenging, writing or editing? Oh, God. Um, I think writing is, I think they're both challenging in different ways. I think personally, I find writing more challenging because I am hypercritical. And I'm really critical of the words that I put down. And I do my best writing when I can remove those blinders or maybe it's, I don't know. I think it's remove the blinders. I don't think the blinders, I think my blinders are on a lot and it's this like negative focus versus like free writing and like knowing that I might scrap half of it, but it's the free writing that allows like the actual good shit to come out. So I think that that is really hard for me to do because it's, a, you have to practice it and it's like any skill and I am not as practiced as I could be. Editing is this interesting thing where it's like, I really enjoy editing and I think I have a pretty good critical eye, but I'm also not an English major or a journalism major. Um, And so I'm like, I feel a lot of pressure to not put out anything less than perfect because I have this role that was given to me that is public facing, but behind the scenes where it's like, I don't want people to think I'm a crap editor and people definitely call me on my um my uh, spelling errors or I like stutter type or 
you were using like a Google Doc and the edits were accepted, but somehow are duplicative and it's like didn't get caught in, at, you know, 3 a.m. or something. So it's like, I think writing is personally more challenging, but I am critically aware of trying to be very perfect as an editor and recognizing that I'm going to mess up. And like my friends are going to be like, hey, Corinne, like you spelt skin, like uh, um, chin scraper wrong. Like, or hey, Corinne, like, I think that this is supposed to say the, not then. And I'm like, thanks. Did not catch that when I was power reading it for the 15th time. Yeah. I mean, like the minutia stuff, like grammatical errors can be like frustrating, but I feel like at least I kind of developed an eye for it the more I did it. It's more what I grapple with is more of like the, the like keeping the writer's voice intact without kind of like steamrolling over them. And I'm way too agreeable as a person yeah uh, so i'm I like uh, yeah i'm like i have much i'm more likely to just kind of let something slip through because i don't want to like put yeah. a pin in it instead I, of like you know and i'll tell you exactly where i struggle with that so we i work with like some really 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 amazing writers and with their pieces like let's think dakota jones etc i have a really hard time editing dakota because I think he's brilliant and I know that he knows what he's doing. And so I'm like, mm, this like comma shouldn't be here, et cetera. And I overwhelmingly, like there's very few times where I've been like, hey, like this sentence, I think gets to what you mean, but I think it could be better. Or this sentence is confusing, et cetera. Like I really struggle to edit him. Like I'm not going to cut a paragraph of Dakota Jones's writing. I'm going to be like, hey, this sentence could be changed versus like a newer writer or someone who it's like, I'm trying to sell every single word they've written to the audience because they don't have that audience buy-in. Like I'm much more likely to be critical in some of that editing than I am in, yeah, a piece by Zoe or a piece by Dakota. And that's just like, that's, that is exactly the same as like me refusing to pass Anna Frost in the rut VK in 2015 or 2014 or whatever it was, because Anna Frost was my hero. And why would I pass her? She's obviously a better runner than me. Um, and so I stayed right behind her all the way to the finish line, which was stupid. But like, I think the same thing I find and feel the same thing in my editing. So I know it'll get better. I know that I'll get better at it. But yeah, that's my, I'm too agreeable and too nice, I think as well. Yeah, it's so hard to, to edit really, really talented writers. Um, so I think yeah. we both need just need to be assholes sometimes. Meaner. We need to be meaner people. Yeah. In agreement. Okay. I wanted 2023 to, uh, resolution be meaner. Be meaner. Exactly. Um, I wanted to jump into a conversation about podcasting, um, specifically how you prepare for interviews because I think you, Keely, and Hillary. Um, the triumvirate that makes up uh, Trail Society uh, do such a great job of kind of interweaving your own commentary um, with standalone interviews. And I'm, I'm curious how that process came about, how that format came about. Um, totally. Yeah. So we, we kind of have two different styles of podcasts that we put out. One is like us riffing on a topic, which is generally like pretty well researched and like, but also back to you know, or or. Uh, not backed, but like buoyed by our personal experience and the experience of our athletes and our friends and our peers, et cetera. The interview pieces are really interesting. Some have been like almost entirely standalone. Like we don't edit them at all um, because then that generally happens when there's more than one of us on the interview. Um, if all, if, if all two, if all three of us can be there or two of us can be there and it's more conversational feeling, like we won't edit it and we'll put it almost in entirety into the podcast pieces or, or interviews where it's more one-on-one, -on -one, like I'm the only one that can make the call. For example, the other two will listen to it or I I've missed, I think one where it's like, I've had to listen to it and then we'll break it into like three or four main ideas and be able to have this kind of like sit down, like, okay, pause. Okay. Like, how did that make you feel? Or, Oh my goodness. When they said this, it brought me right back to sixth grade and I felt this way, et cetera. And so it's, I think it's a different mix and I think that we didn't want to be the podcast, like the prototypical endurance podcast where it's like, I'm going to do a one-on-one -on -one interview with this person. And like this know, one, like this one. Exactly. No, I think you guys are a little different than that. But, and then I was gonna say like a white, like run by a white male, et cetera. Yeah, so yeah. really just checking all the boxes here, Matt. No, but I think that like, 
there is a lot of that that exists in the space and we wanted to be different and we were different by having three hosts which is both a blessing and a curse and we were different by having three female hosts which is mostly a blessing definitely i did say most days not a curse but it's like trying to bring that energy to it and so like our next one that comes out will be an interview then we'll probably have another one where it's just the couple like the, the you know two or three of us on there riffing about something but that's the thing too is that we all care enough that we do all try to show up. And so we wanted three hosts so that if someone couldn't make it, we'd always have two of us. And it turns out we almost always all make it, which is great. But then the other piece too is like scheduling for interviews is pretty hard when you have two hosts or three hosts. And then it's like, oh, and we're not going to record intros and outros right then. And we're going to record, you know, Society Slam or a results section or some recent news, etc. So it becomes like duplicative from a workload perspective. And so I think if we were to do it, to do an interview every single podcast that we released, um, we'd need to get paid more and or like have more free time. And so that's been kind of that balance of like, hey, we don't really have time to schedule an interview right now. So we're gonna pick a topic that we all find is really interesting. And maybe it's seasonally topical as well, like hydration or... Um, you know, heat acclimation or altitude acclimation, et cetera, and just kind of deep dive into something like that is way more time efficient. What is, have been some of your uh, like favorite interviews as of late? I know you've had some big names recently. Um, my like high school self died knowing that I would get to sit down with Lauren Fleshman. Um, obviously, she's like on a podcast tour because of um, the book coming out. We're going to sit down with Christina Yu in a little bit as well, who is writing a book or as has a book coming out in May called Speed Up, which is all about female physiology and like the lack of women in the research space. So that's kind of like another dream interview. But yeah, sitting down with Lauren Fleshman and like getting to ask her things that I've always wanted to ask her um, was I think I don't think I've sweat more in an interview. Like I was like legit like pitting out in my office because I was so excited to and nervous to talk to someone like Lauren. What prep work did you do? Oh goodness. I so someone like Lauren, who I knew was doing a bunch of interviews, we had the interview scheduled pretty early. So there weren't too many podcasts out yet. But I did I went and listened to other podcasts that she had been on, you know, so like when I ran to the gym, and while I was at the gym, and while I was on this run, like I was listening to interviews with Lauren Fleshman. And then I joked, I think, in the interview, like, okay, we're gonna ask you the same questions that everyone's asked you. And I was like, okay, hopefully not. Hopefully, we've got some variety in here. But like I do a lot of that kind of thing and some background reading even like I had remembered reading this piece that she wrote that was published on the Wazelle website, this letter to her younger self. And I was like, oh, I really want to pull a quote from that and like, you know, kind of reflect on this piece, et cetera. So, you know, it's a lot of that. It's a lot of like recent stuff they've talked on, recent stuff they've written um, becomes really important and just being acquainted with who they are so you're not flying completely blind i generally don't send i don't love having to send like here's a list of questions that i'm gonna ask you but try to send them the idea like hey we really want to talk about setting up you know this piece of the story etc let us know there's anything you don't want to talk about um let us know if there's anything that you really want to talk about um and set up the questions that way and then i was taught a really fun trick recently for interviews in which I've been very fortunate to work with some former NPR producers on a project for Ultra Sign Up. And the way they had me start prepping to set up interviews was to know what I wanted the answer to be. And so when I'm setting up the question, it's like, I already know the answer. Or I know what I know the answer that I think I'm going to get. And then sometimes there'll be these interviews where I'm like asking the same question like eight different ways. Because I'm like, I really want you to say, you know this person's name and like why they're important and like you're almost there and that's a highly edited podcast so that's a little bit of a different boat but yeah like trying to know where you want the conversation to go and it can totally run off course but i think that that makes setting up questions way easier totally it's almost like trying to have a script that doesn't kind of come across as like premeditated yeah it's still got to be conversational so i always leave room for follow-ups too so i'll like i'll even have that in my notes like ooh, follow-up and it, the follow-up might go this direction so i won't have a question formatted per se but it's like a ooh, it's this direction that like i think we're gonna head have you had a interview kind of go completely 
uh, off the rails into an area that like you had no idea it was going to go in? I don't think so. I think I've had some interviews, not not on Trail Society. I think it's been mostly for like ultra sign up stuff where it's like trying to like just like having like it be kind of low energy or like not really getting what you want from this per like they're not buying in they're not like hearing your question and being like yeah i've got a story for you they're like mm, like kind of me it's like kind of lukewarm feeling um so i've had some of those and luckily tina's a great producer and just edits the crap out of them to make us sound brilliant but for trail society where that's not an option i don't think we've had any we've had some where it's like we've asked a question and then they've answered the next four questions we had kind of in the bank and we're like cool we'll just let them talk because they're great <laughs> and they've like they're nailing everything that we were hoping to get it into and so i think that's been like a really practical way to do it yeah i find that like sometimes you just kind of have to let the guest uh steer the ship in a sense yeah you're like corinne get back on the rails stop being insane well you know here i am all right switching gears a little bit um i wanted to talk to you about another way you're involved in the sport of trail running which is as a board member on the uh pro trail runners association I talked to uh, Francesco Poopy earlier this year um, about that and uh, definitely recommend listeners check out that episode um, to learn more. Uh, but you were quoted as saying, the goal of the association is not to strike, but to have a way to communicate as a cohesive entity with one voice. We need to be thinking about what's best for our sport 10 to 15 years down the road, not just what's best for next year. And that got me thinking. What is best for our sport in like 10 to 15 years? What did you have in mind when you said that? Yeah, that's actually a really brilliant question. Um, I think I'm trying not to fear monger a little bit. But I so what I do right now with the board is that I am kind of at the head of two working groups. So I'm in charge of the anti-doping working group. And I'm also kind of the co-head of a... Um, we're calling it... It's kind of under athlete rights broadly. And one of the sub-working groups in there is contract literacy um, and kind of just like athlete education in and around contracts and brand relationships. Um, and on the anti-doping side, I think that's kind of where that what's good for the sport in 10 years, 15 years versus right now, because it's not going to be a like a, oh, we fixed, we fixed doping in trail running today, et cetera. It's more like a, it takes a, it takes a while to get any of that done. And so, you know, I've had meetings with USADA and the Athletic Integrity Unit and World Athletics and the World Mountain Running Association and the American Trail Running Association, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and World Athletics legitimately told us, well, why would we test trail running? We don't think there's a problem. And it's like we had both the winners of Sarah's and all, um, a sub ultra 30K classic um, in Switzerland, test positive, one um, tested positive at the event and one tested positive in a race in May. And then there were no actions filed and she was allowed to race for the rest of the season. So it's like, OK, there is obviously some issue within our sport. Um, I don't think it's rampant, but I think that it's like we get to make decisions now that will protect the integrity of the trail and ultra running competitive landscape for the next decade or two or more. So that's kind of like my biggest project is not only in competition, anti-doping that's WADA compliant, not quartz related. Um, quartz being this like kind of pseudo saying that they're about health initiatives, but they're really, I don't know. We don't know what they're about. Anyway, wanting to have like USADA and WADA compliant testing in competition, which we will see instituted at a number of UTMB events this year. Um, which is a big deal as opposed to the courts program. And then um, our big, big, big project, which is going to be insane, is trying to get an out-of-competition testing pool together, which will cost us 250 to 300K a year um, that will scale upwards over the course of a five-year build-out. Um, but that will mean that over time, the best of our sport will be in an out-of-competition testing pool, independent of if you live in Argentina or Kenya or the U.S. or France. Like, It can be run by one entity, and that is a huge, huge deal. In terms of like overall professionalization of trail running, is there kind of another sport we can look at as like a precedent um, for where we might be headed to kind I mean, of help I guide us in terms of like, you know, issues of 
anti-doping, et cetera? Yeah, I think we looked a little bit to like the pro triathlon league like the p i think they're the pto we were the pta which i like died laughing i was like oh i'm on the board of the pta um people in the u.s think that's funny people in europe have no idea why we think that's funny um so i think like we've looked to them a little bit as far as like them organizing like as a union so like so to speak to have a unified voice when it comes to events calendars etc and then i think that we've watched cycling ebb and flow in that way too. We're watching gravel kind of expand right now as we're expanding, which has its ups and downs. Some of it's kind of under the UCI. They're having growing pains being part of the UCI or the international cycling union. Um, I think, you know, uh, what is the Olympic discipline of mountain biking? The cross country mountain biking format is kind of an interesting model as far as like what's sustainable. Um, where do we not maybe want our sport to go? Like I am probably one of the few, pro trail runners who doesn't want trail or ultra running to be an Olympic sport because I've watched it completely alter a, a you know, the, the version of climbing that's in the Olympics, the version of mountain biking that's in the Olympics is not what a lot of people see in that sport, et cetera. So I think we're kind of like, there are cautionary tales out there um, that we're witnessing from the sidelines. And then there are things where it's like, okay, like that worked well for them, them and that didn't work well for them. Like, I think there was an issue with one of the triathlon leagues as far as like kind of having more beyond a pro card was like having to pay a membership due. And there was actually a lot of infighting over a membership due that um, delegitimized parts of the union as they tried to get it off the ground. So we're being really cognizant of that kind of stuff as far as like what is, what's a barrier to entry, what allows us to, you know, communicate as a whole, what are the actual things that we want to accomplish in the near term, what benefits the athletes, et cetera. Yeah, I think some unification could really benefit the sport because if you're following it as a fan, it's quite chaos. difficult to it's yeah, chaos. it's quite difficult to make sense of all the different organizations, etc. It reminds me of like heavyweight boxing, which has like or not heavyweight professional boxing, which has like several different leagues. belts yeah. and stuff. And so it's unclear who is like, you know, the, best. the heavyweight title or heavyweight champion of the world at any yeah. one given moment. Yeah. And we're watching that power struggle happen, right? With UTMB. And we're working closely with UTMB actually to like institute changes within their race series because they do have the, they do have the lion's share of the power right now. And and maybe part of that is adjusting how that power is distributed amongst uh, brands and race organizations, et cetera. But we're working closely with like all the leagues so the World Skyrunning Association, the World Mountain Running Association, the Golden Trail World Series, and the UTMB World Series are ostensibly kind of the four big ones, plus the the World Mountain and Trail Running Championships that will be on an every other year schedule, which will probably be taken on by World Athletics in the next five years, um, re- like legitimately speaking. So I think we're, we're working right now too to, to find a calendar that honors these different disciplines um, and allows, you know, people, it, it really affects the short distance trail runners the most because they're in competing leagues. Um, so it's hard to get them all to one spot at the same time. It's a little bit different on the ultra side, although there's a battle then between like races that are within the UTMB World Series and races that are not, i.e. a race like Madeira that I'm electing to go to, a race like Ultra Trail Mount Fuji, um, Ultra Trail Cape Town, these races that do not fall into those series are still very legitimate events. And so trying to find a way to support them and and put together really like all-star fields there while UTMB still holds like most of the power. This is kind of related to um, the work you're doing on like the athlete side of things. Uh, do you see uh, like the prevalence of of athletes getting like agents um, in the near future? Do you think that would help kind of you know protect them in a sense yeah i think that we're seeing more people seek legal counsel either in the form of an agent or just having someone look over their their current contract offer to make sure that you're like gendered appropriately and the contract doesn't have like climbing terminology in it instead of running terminology etc there have like notoriously been nike contracts that are like say that they have to go to the prefontaine classic and it's like excuse excuse me i i don't run on the track um and so it's like, okay, like use, use the correct terminology. So I think a lot of what we're doing within the PTRA should hopefully trickle down to those contracts too, like working on 
like like a parental leave clauses maternity and paternity leave or parental parental rights in that regard both within series ranking and within um contract language and then i think what we're trying to do in like the contract literacy group as well is create a system in which athletes can understand what's in their contracts and what might be missing from their contracts so that they so athletes who can't afford an agent because they're not making enough money for an agent to take them on because agents can't get paid if you're not getting paid. Um, and so like having kind of a, a lower barrier to entry of like actually understanding that your contract is a legally binding document. It's not like a word document um, that you were sent by someone. I think that that is like the baseline. And then, yeah, I do think that as the sport professionalizes and as more money potentially comes into it, because the running sector does seem to be staying pretty stable as opposed to like the ski industry or the cycling industry um, that are hurting a little bit more in the marketing dollars department. um, I do think that agents are beneficial because it's not your relationship on the line then. It's this other party. And it's like, that's good and bad, right? Like you want to be able to speak for yourself, but at the same time, like if you're not getting paid, like you being the squeaky wheel trying to get paid can change your relationship with your sponsor in a, a negative, unfortunately, like it shouldn't, you should just get paid when you're supposed to get paid. But like an agent is protected in that sense because they're that go between. Yeah. I think some level of transparency would also help correct some of those issues too. Just yeah. I'm a big basketball fan and What's interesting to me when you compare the two sports is like everyone in the NBA knows how much their teammates are making, the yep. coaches making, their competitors are making. And yep. that way they can kind of like you it's know, fair, compete against right? each other. And it's fair. It's yeah. more fair then. So I think it's like, I think we can, you know, we can assume that Jim Walmsley and Courtney DeWalter are making six figures. Everyone else, it's kind of a, a crapshoot. And some people are probably on better contracts than they are than, than the average maybe that team is doing better. And then there are people who are on like contracts that are like ostensibly worth nothing. And so it's, uh, yeah, that what, what constitutes pro is very wide ranging. We're going to try to put together an anonymous, anonymous survey akin to what pink bike did for the cycling industry for, for mountain biking, um, within the trail and ultra space to get a better understanding of at what level are people getting paid? And then some of those delineations too, like, is how what percentage of your annual pay is hedged in performance like wh- what percent are you guaranteed versus what percent is hedged in performance um that that kind of stuff just to get a better understanding of like what are, what's the baseline out there what what are people sp- what, like what should people be asking for and what are they not asking for this next question is obliquely related uh to some of the uh, media aspects <laughs> that we talked about um but did you read the lazarus lake New York Times profile that came out, I think, over the weekend. I did. And then I also read the Substack piece by um, the individual, the, the Asian American individual who was part of that, like he had a Black Lives Matter team during one of Laz's virtual races and like kind of the drama associated there. Um, and just like, yeah, so I, I've, re- I've read a lot over the week, like over like the last 48 hours, as far as like in regards to Gary Con- Cantrell or Lazarus Lake, as he's mostly known. Yeah, the RD of the the Barkley marathons um, and big backyard and yeah, and a bunch of other yeah. insane races. Um, I ask you that because I feel like New York Times, we can kind of agree, is like a mainstream outlet, right? Yeah, it yes, very much so. Do you think that like the New York Times covering a race like Barkley and not like Western states or or some mm-hmm. kind of other races helps or hurts our sport in terms of like the image it paints of us is like, I don't know. That's totally weird. Yeah. Barkley is very, very, very extreme. That's a, that is a really, really interesting question in the sense that like, I don't think that is a take that I have heard from anyone in the past 72 hours. So that is really cool. Um, people like to say that like any, like good, any press is, good press but i don't know in that case right and i think that it's like okay well barkley part of that publication probably had to do with the fact that like barkley was the third highest trending thing on twitter right like and it's because of this mystery and this like uh this lure around the race that it got all that traction and to me it's like 
on one hand, like bravo for like a race where like only 40 people get to participate or can participate. And oftentimes no one finishes. And um, the race director is kind of this enigma. And the only coverage of the event is literally like one dude on Twitter sending out tweets sporadically from Frozen Head Park. Like that to me is like very, it's super interesting, right? And I think that it's like, man, it's ultra running just really boring. Like, is Western States just really boring? Because part of, I'm like, I do a lot of commentary for it, right? Like, I can't think it's that boring. Like, I talk about it for 20 hours straight. And people watch it on YouTube for that long as well. So I think it's like, part of me is like, wow, like our sport might be really boring if Barkley gets coverage and nothing else does. But at the same time, what that makes me think is like, more of us need to pitch stories to like, big publications. Because like, why isn't that was like, um, another another Lazarus Lake race, there was a piece about Big's backyard in ESPN. I think so. Right? It's like, we can do that. There's no reason why we can't do that, right? Like, why not pitch a piece about you, like the women's race at UTMB? Or like some character in, at Western States and like pitch that to, to the New Yorker or the New York Times or Vanity Fair or whatever. Like there's there's space for it, you know, to a certain to a certain degree. So I think it's like maybe that's our fault. I don't know. But now I'm really thinking about how boring our sport is. I think you're starting to see um ultra running faces like poke through a bit. Like Mirren Fader, who is I think one of the best journalists writing right now wrote a profile of Courtney DeWalter that was published on the ringer which is and it also was great like, it was yeah. amazing yeah so it's not like our sports not getting any attention but I agree and I also think that like kind of promoting the sub ultra distance a bit more would help in that a bit because oh, I mean it's, it's so much more televisable yeah exactly yeah exactly it's, it's also like something people can relate to a bit more you're right it's like faster speeds you can't it's relate to, to Barkley what's wrong with you you don't want to like go on a transcendent vision quest for 60 hours through some briars. This sounds right up your alley, actually. I think it sounds right up your alley. I mean, there could be something to be said there. Yeah, I was talking to Olivia and we're like, we have to convince Corinne to run Barkley. <laughs> You're not going to have to try that hard, I think, is the issue. We'll just have to convince Laz to let me into Barkley. Perfect. We'll, Perfect. we'll work on that. We've got I can time. Write, I can write your application for you. I'm in. I think the essay question this past year was something to the effect of like, you, they'd write an essay about what the newest element added to the periodic table would be. Yeah. And a bunch of other like super random questions. I think we can do this. Yeah. All right. I want to move on to a few um, predictions that I'm going to, I'm going to toss your way or ask okay. you, ask you about okay. uh, what is going to be the next kind of fitness trend mm -hmm. in trail running or endurance sports. Like we had keto for a while, which I mean, that's, that's still around. We had like heat exposure, cold exposure, had a moment, continuous glucose monitoring, stuff like that. What's kind of like at the forefront. It'll be whatever right was big in like the nineties, right? Like we are, we all have a goldfish memory and we keep like presenting the same research that's been, been there all along and just pretending it's brand new, like level two training. I'm like, what do you think cyclists and skiers have been doing for like the last 60 years? Um, so I do think that it's going to, it's, it's going to be exactly like fashion, you know, how like low waisted jeans and like super flared pants are, which I'm sure like Olivia is like purchasing as we speak, um, because she's so hip. I think that it'll be something along those lines, like something that's like really just been there. Like we'll go back to like five finger minimalist shoes or something. Oh God, I hope not. I mean, I hope not either, but like... Because that means I, I have to run in them. No, you can't. Don't do it. No reviews on five finger shoes. I think that, which rhymes, which would be great. I think that it'll be something of that nature though. Like we're going to get really bad. We're going to get back into like maltodextrin again. We're going to say that that is actually the super fuel. Yeah. I mean, have you tried the Morton bicarb system that everyone was like guzzling down at utmb which is hilarious too because like by like sodium bicarbonate supplementation has been around for forever it just like makes your tummy hurt really badly generally speaking so instead we tried to put it into lotions and like rub it into our legs hoping that would help i.e pr lotion etc um and now it's like they found a way to like maybe make it more digestible so it's like ooh, you might be able to get a percent 
faster with a little bit more quote unquote like lactate buffering um, without the GI distress, which I think is interesting, but it's like it's not new. It's not new science. It's slightly updated technology of old science. And I think that that like that to me is like what we're doing a lot of in the sports industry right now. Totally. I love the the packaging uh, that that product comes in. It looks like a little doggy bowl. Yeah, it's like a little Tamagotchi. Yeah. Uh, another kind of headline, I guess, or trend that that made the rounds um, within the last couple of months is the Norwegian method. Yeah, it's like, it's like, what okay. is that? What is the Norwegian method? It's so many different things. But essentially, it's not really a new method. It's just like how a subset of humans are training and we've given it a title. Um, again, it's like controlled lactate sessions. So it's like, I don't know how many times I've been stuck with a lactate monitor over, you know, over a decade of ski racing. My earlobes and fingers have bled mightily on all sorts of equipment, um, including myself. And so it's like, none of this is new, but we're like, we're trying to like frame it as such. Like, it's not news if you exist in the, uh, the cross-country skiing, cycling realm i think runners for a really long time have gotten away with running too hard most of the time right like there's no everything's kind of moderate and you can because you're only training maybe six to ten hours a week um you don't have as much breakdown as opposed to like having truly easy sessions and truly hard sessions or parts of your sessions being really hard and that is level two training and that is the norwegian method it's like training with some structure that isn't completely illogical right no i think you're your perspective about how things tend to operate in cycles makes a ton of sense, not just in the running space, but in life in general. Yeah. yeah. Uh, where do you think the next uh, boom in running is going to to come, like geographically? Um, I was down in Chile and Santiago for like two weeks, and the amount of people running there and like hokas and stuff was unlike anything I had ever seen. Yeah, and it's that, interesting. that city is perfect for training. Yeah, I mean, South America is like one of the largest running or like largest increasing running markets, I guess. That's like not the right terminology at all. Um, it's growing rapidly, but their buying power is pretty limited. Like they just can't afford to shell out for a dozen pairs of $170 shoes, right? So it's like they're really important to the running industry. And at the same time, the buying power there has been pretty limited. And I don't know if that's changing or not. And that's something that I think would be the biggest like from the people who actually live in South America, um, who are from, who are from those countries. I think that the biggest, I still think we don't really know what's going on in China. China has a lot of issues, but like from a running perspective, like we're going to have Chinese athletes at Western States this year due to a UTMB qualifier in December and they have their visas. And I am so freaking excited to see, I hope they have good days. I hope that they like, they generally race really aggressively from the front. Um, I would love to see like the Asian, the Asian market, like really hit hard in a market that has been largely Western European and North American. Um, because I do think that there are incredibly talented athletes in South America, in China. Um, we've seen some like athletes from China and Hong Kong make it over to Europe to race, but it's like, I think we're missing out on a whole subset of athletes that are just like really phenomenal. Um, including like, you know, we're getting more, um, Kenyans and Ethiopians into kind of the sub ultra space. I think we're going to see more of that. And as more money comes into it, that's where you'll see some of that. And I think that my like wildest prediction is that like one of these series, I don't know that it'll be the UTMB series. Cause I don't think we've found a good way to like package that commentary yet. Cause the races are just really long. I think they have to be able to package them in, in tighter bundles, but I do think something like the golden trail world series or a sub ultra series could land a actual like television deal, um, be it a series like a Netflix series, um, like like they put out for the tour, etc. Or you know, um, Formula the, One, yeah, or Formula One. Um, I think there's now a tennis one and a golfing one too. So it's like I think that we could see that, but I think it'll come in a sub ultra series like the Golden Trail World Series, and I think that will explode the sport even more if we can actually make that happen yeah i mean the the videos that solomon puts out um on their youtube are essentially like that and they're so well done it would be cool if we could kind of leverage that and, and bring it to a bigger audience and i think you're right like tv deals that's how you 
that's where the money the is yeah exactly exactly it's where all the money is yeah so i think that's the next and and i think akin to some of the other sports that have those tv deals that's where you see really huge non-endemic sponsors i love that the boys have finally caught on to that term that i think i've been throwing around for five years now but that'd be like a bank being the title sponsor um in the biathlon world cup it was like a big non-alcoholic beer brand was the title sponsor for part of the world cup etc i think weissman which is is that a construction firm maybe um is is weissman is like that was the sticker that we all had to have on our rifles in the biathlon world cup because they were the title sponsor so i think it's like if if utmb wasn't brought to you by hoka all of a sudden and utmb was brought to you by a vice man yeah uh, yeah exactly some huge bank swiss bank whatever like silicon valley bank maybe that would be i think <laughs> yeah silicon valley bank i heard they're too woke anyway um i think that that's how all of a sudden some of that money that hoka has had to put into utmb actually gets redistributed to the athletes etc too so it's like i think we'll see some changes there in the coming let's call it five years um that could mean like a true heightening of professionalization in the sport. Before I let you go, is there mm-hmm. anything else that you're really excited about? Um, it can be running related, life related, anything. I get to go running with you in like uh, eight days for our birthday. Yeah, our cumulative 63rd birthday. Yeah, our, our not quite joint, but almost joint birthday. Um, I'm excited to it to be spring. I feel like this could be a false spring and I'm getting my hopes up, but it's been like 60 and sunny the last three days and it's been absolutely amazing. Um, and then I've decided that my like mantra from 2023, my biggest resolution was just like, we're not doing setbacks anymore. So I'm excited to like race and like get to a couple different start lines and like run with friends in the mountains. And I'm running Cascade Crest in my backyard at the end of July. And like, that makes me so freaking excited. Hell yeah. Well, I think that's a good good spot to end it. Thanks, Corinne. Thank you. That's it for this edition of Off the Couch. Thanks to Corinne for the conversation. Thanks to Justin Bob for producing this episode. And from everyone here at Blister, please take good care of yourself, keep moving forward, and we'll talk to you again next week.